The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Mari has grown her two fitness and nutrition brands. Co-founder of Bloom Nutrition. Forbes 30 under 30 list. A successful entrepreneur. Someone who has lost 90 pounds. Today's guest is Mari Llewellyn. Mari Llewellyn. My friend Mari. Welcome to the pursuit of wellness. Hi guys, welcome back to the Pursuit of Wellness podcast. I am so excited for today's episode. I really have been manifesting this one. Today we are welcoming Paul Grieve, who is really living my dream. He's also known as Farmer Paul over at Pasturebird Farms. His story is really unique. He grew up in a city and became a corporate accountant with no background in farming or agriculture. And after serving in the Marine Corps and contracting Lyme disease during sniper school, Paul began to look more closely at what he was putting into his body and focusing on healing. He wasn't able to find pasture-raised chicken that fit his paleo diet needs. And he started his own farm, which I think is absolutely incredible. In this episode, we get into the problems with our food system, why pasture-raised chicken is so important, industry myths, how to read labels at grocery stores and source the best meat for you and your family regenerative versus factory farming for plants and animals, the importance of buying directly from farmers, soil health, and the benefits of raising a family on a farm, which I found really interesting and inspiring. I am dying to visit his farm in Temecula after our conversation, and he has some really exciting community initiatives in the pipeline to encourage a reconnection with nature and education around sustainable practices. We also have a code for you guys to use on his chicken. Listen to the end of the episode to get that code. Uh, Greg and I eat this chicken all the time. We have it in our freezer and it's so, so good. You can so tell the difference. Anyway, with that said, let's get into the episode. Please welcome Paul. Paul, you are kind of living my dream. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't know that. You went from cubicle life to becoming a farmer. Everyone who listens to the show has heard me mention my dream of farming and having my own chickens. What you're doing is obviously at a much bigger scale, but I think what you and your company are doing is fantastic and I can't wait to learn more. My husband and I have been ordering your products for a long time. So let's start from the beginning. How did you become a farmer? Oh, first of all, I appreciate you guys ordering and stuff. It means a lot. It was never part of the blueprint. I grew up as a downtown Seattle like city kid. No interest in food or farming at all. And I never thought I'd go down this route, you know. But I went into the Marine Corps after college and I contracted Lyme disease during sniper school, laying in the woods for like three days straight, trying not to move. And sure enough, it's the bullseye rash. And then it's like brain fog and fatigue and just such weird health issues for a 22-year-old athlete. And um, pretty much paleo and CrossFit were like starting to hit. This was like 2007, 2008. And it started to get really popular. And I was like, there's no way that'll affect the way that I feel. Sure enough, like two weeks into eating paleo, I felt like a kid again. Back pain was gone. I could like breathe through my nose, you know. I was like, oh my gosh. That was the first time I thought, okay, the food that you eat affects the way that you feel and the way you perform. And so I went to Iraq and came back and our family was sort of just struggling to find good food. And my in-laws had like a little two acre spot out in Temecula, which is like a rural part of Southern California. And we were sort of just joking around about getting some chickens for the backyard like you do. And my brother-in-law, he just sort of like disappeared from the room, came back about 10 minutes later and he goes, hey, I just ordered like 50 chickens are going to be here in two weeks, you know, get ready. And we're like, no, no, we weren't serious about that. 50 is a strong start. It's a strong start. That's like really bold. (laughs) 
the first birds arrived and we thought it would just be for our family, like a little family hobby thing. My wife and I, we lived in Corona del Mar for forever, for like 10 years. And so there was, there was no moving out to Temecula. There was no interest. Like when you grow up in Temecula, which is where she grew up, you never go back. Like that's the whole point. But sure enough, you know, the business kind of got going and waitlist started and like people were really excited about the product. So we sold out of the first 50 before my family could even try one. And they were all mad at me, you know, and it went to 100 and then it just kind of started to grow from there. It was crazy. And now you are the biggest pasture poultry producer in the world. Yeah, but it sounds impressive on paper. Yeah, it does. But we're like a tiny producer in the grand scheme of things because there's just not very many pasture producers out there. Right, which I definitely want to talk about. Yeah. Just to go back to Lyme disease for a second. Yeah. Is there a cure for Lyme disease? No, no. It's a very like unknown autoimmune condition. People so, really don't know a lot about it. Technically, do you still have it? Technically, yeah. Wow. But I don't feel symptoms. Like I feel as good now as I did when I was getting into the Marine Corps at 20, you know. So you basically manage it through diet. I think so. Diet, stress, sleep, yeah. mental well-being, like all of it, you know. Yeah. But diet's a big part for sure. And what are the major symptoms of Lyme disease? I mean, I really felt like foggy. That's the best way I can describe it. I just wasn't sharp. I don't know how else to say it. Like there was pain, there was inflammation. There was like, I hated not being able to breathe through my nose. Mm. But the biggest thing was just like, I don't know what it was. I just felt like I didn't have like clarity and I wasn't that sharp. And that's the worst. Especially when you're trying to do business. It's like you need to fire on all cylinders. 100%. And you found that paleo was the best solution for you. Whatever. We call it paleo, but it's like eating traditional foods. It wasn't at this point, I'm not eating like strict, strict paleo or something, but that's definitely those principles, anti-inflammatory foods, a lot of superfoods, like cooking from scratch, eating out as little as possible. It's so funny because I saw a like a meme or a quote on Instagram yesterday about how crazy it is that we eat so much junk food now that eating real whole foods is considered a diet. Right. Like that really resonated with me because I was like, we're not dieting. We're eating whole foods. Like that really is the key. Even the fact that it was branded as a paleo diet was like part of its downfall. Yeah. I mean, this isn't a diet. Like we always say this is just a way of living. It's a lifestyle. hundred percent. And you feel so much better. And I think so much healing can happen from food. Yeah. Food is medicine was like, that was the whole concept for thousands of years. And we've gone away from it so far away from the last 50. And we could talk about how all that happened and what's enabled that. But we've we've veered so far off of, I think, like God's intention for food to be a very healing thing for us. You know? Yeah. Why do you feel like we have veered off that path so much? I mean, antibiotics are really the thing that like enabled, at least on the animal side, would enabled, you know, what we would call factory farming today mm-hmm. for thousands of years. It wasn't possible to leave thousands and thousands of animals in a confined facility without moving them around. I mean, animals are meant to move all the time. They're meant to eat the grass, poop on the ground, fertilize the ground, actually give back, and then move on. And the only thing that really allows us to do that now is like the invention of antibiotics and drugs and ionophores and all these other things that they call non-antibiotic. It's good on the sense that like, okay, food has become like insanely cheap on a price per pound or a caloric basis, but I think it's actually gotten pretty expensive from like a nutrient density perspective so it's just an area that we don't talk about much but antibiotics were like the really big pivotal moment in the 1940s 1950s when it enabled industry to 
pack tons of animals inside of a confined facility, you know. So that's the main role of antibiotics in food is to prevent them getting sick because they're so close together. Yeah, most of it's prophylactic in the industry. Most antibiotics are not used as like, oh, this flock is sick. Now we're going to treat it. There's some great companies out there that don't do it that way. But a lot of the antibiotic uses use preventative to prevent the animals from getting sick, which is such a slippery slope. And what kind of an impact is antibiotics have on our health as humans look what it does to your gut microbiome when when you or i take antibiotics like it just has this host of negative side effects that i don't even think we fully understand to be honest but you jump in and you throw off this natural process you wreck the gut microbiome and that's the source of all health so of course the same thing happens to animals i mean they have a gut too you know and how about hormones hormones are kind of a tricky one because a lot of people think there's there's hormones in chicken. Mm. Those are like outlawed in the 80s. So actually there aren't hormones in American chicken. Added hormones, obviously they have hormones, but there's not added hormones into American chicken. It still exists in some other proteins, but really in chicken, it's been regulated out by the government. Am I wrong by saying people still put hormone-free on chicken packaging? Of course. That's insane. They put gluten-free on water too. (laughs) Wait, that's so funny because I didn't even realize there weren't added hormones in chicken. Most people don't. I mean, there's, we could go through, we could do a whole podcast just on labels and the loopholes and the nonsense and well, the games and shenanigans that happen. Let me ask you about labels. Like, yeah. how does the average person listening to this podcast go into a grocery store and look at a label and know they're getting good chicken? They don't. It's like not a thing. What would you recommend that they look for? I mean, if you're serious about this, I think we were talking about this offline before, but you got to go find individual farms and buy direct. That's the only way, like in 2023, when we're recording this, that's the only trusted source. Even the best, best, best retailers and grocers, there's not a single one that I would say you can walk in and blindly just buy their proteins. Yeah. It doesn't exist. You just told me even Air One or Whole Foods. Two companies I have a ton of respect for. Yeah. They don't have it all figured out. I think they'd be the first ones to tell you that. They're trying to offer things at different levels for different consumers, which I've come to appreciate. You know, I hated it for like the first three years. I was like, no, it's pasture-raised, organic, regenerative, or nothing, you know? But there's different budgets and different realities and different time commitments and stuff like that. So I think that they're offering things at different levels, but don't think that you can walk into even Erewhon and get pasture-raised, regenerative, and organic. Like it just doesn't exist, you know? I really think that, grocery shopping is moving towards online ordering because myself and my husband I was telling you if we want quality meat which we always want we order from farms we order from you guys we order from force of nature Mm -hmm. white oak pastures I really think that that's where the industry is shifting for people who are very conscious of where they're buying their meat from I agree with you and I also think it just speaks to the power of brand and as Mm -hmm. much as like me as a farmer I hate talking about brand because I'm like stupid, fake, creative, all these people. But no, actually, it's really important. So mm-hmm. for the last 20 years in the protein space, it's called attribute-based marketing. So it's like, is it grass-fed? Is it pasture-raised? Is it you know organic? Is it free-range? Is it this and that? And that has dominated the space. But you're seeing it quickly with us, people like us in Force of Nature go back to, no, no, I want to buy from this brand because I know them and I trust them and I follow them on socials and I've been to a tour and like I, I know how they do things. So I trust and I want to buy it from this brand. Mm. I think you're going to see a shift back to that too. So yeah, online is going to explode. But I think 
buying from brands more than just attributes, like you're going to see a resurgence of that, which I think is super healthy, you know? Yeah. And I love the fact that when you go on the Pasture Bird website, you see you and your family and you kind of know who you're supporting and who's behind it. So I agree with you 100%. Cozy season is approaching, guys. I'm getting so excited about all the pumpkin, the cooking, the family time, the leaves. It's also the perfect time to upgrade at bedding and home essentials with the change in season. Greg and I get asked all the time what kind of bedding we use, and we have used Brook Linen products for years. We specifically have the Luke Sateen sheets, and they are so incredibly comfortable. We always say we just have the best bed ever. Our nighttime routine is on point with our red light bulbs, blue light blocking glasses. The vibes are set and the sheets are so crisp and comfortable. Brooklinen was founded by a husband and wife duo, just like me and Greg, Rich and Vicky in 2014. And their mission was to provide customers with hotel quality, award-winning luxury bedding. Their internet famous sheets have over 100,000 five-star reviews. And I am here to tell you the hype is real. They are incredible. It is such a serious upgrade to your home. You can grab a bed and bath bundle for a good night's rest and new at-home spa routine. You can save up to 25% when bundling your new favorite home essentials. Experience the difference for yourself and check out Brooklinen's new fall collection. Visit in-store or online at brooklinen.com and use code POW for $20 off your online order of $100 or more. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code POW, P-O-W for $20 off. Highly recommend you guys check out these sheets. I have loved them for so long and it's the perfect fall upgrade. The fall season is approaching and I know so many of us have new purchases to make, whether that be a new closet item, a flight, groceries. It's such a busy time and I know we are all focused on saving where we can. And that's where I found Ibotta. I think it's so incredible and more people need to know about it. You can watch your cash back grow with each purchase. It gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods. So you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. You can either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop and get cash back. It's that easy. The average Ibotta user earns $120 per year. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip or you could use your cash back to buy that flight you've been eyeing that game you've been dying to go to or the fancy dinner you've been craving. Other apps give you points that don't amount to that much. With Ibotta, you get real cash back that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal or gift cards. You can earn cash back on hundreds of online brands and retailers when you start with Ibotta. That includes Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy and more. I know personally I will be using that on my Sephora purchases. I highly recommend you guys check this out, especially with the school season coming back. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code POW, P-O-W, when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use code POW, P-O-W. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use code POW, P-O-W. I always get asked about how I stay healthy while traveling and it really is a challenge, but I feel like I've gotten into a groove where it isn't as hard for me anymore. I just find ways of incorporating walking, drinking enough water, eating well. And this is where we found Westin Hotels. We've actually used them for the team 
We traveled to Coachella this past year and the whole team stayed in the Western Hotels. And with over 200 destinations around the world, Western Hotels make it possible for you to keep up with your wellness routine while traveling. You can work out the way you want with a variety of fitness options to keep your wellness routine on track while you're away. You can maintain focus in Western workout fitness studios equipped with state-of-the-art equipment. I know hotel gyms aren't always the best, but I can say from experience, these are amazing and you can really replicate the same workouts you're doing at home. You can eat well with Western's Eat Well menu designed with foods that make sure you're meeting your nutritional needs. Western chefs have crafted dishes with your well-being in mind. You can choose what's right for you and your desired portion size and nutritional balance. And most importantly, in my opinion, you can sleep well and recharge your body and mind with restorative sleep in Western's renowned heavenly bed. I think sleep absolutely affects everything else and making sure we're sleeping well while traveling is super important as well. At Western Hotels, there's amenities and offerings aimed to help you move well, eat well, and sleep well, so you can keep your well-being close while away. Find wellness on your next day at Western. Let's go back to basics for a minute. Why is pasture-raised chicken so important? Yeah, I mean, pasture-raised has to do with the environment that the birds live in. Some people think the diet means that all they eat is pasture, nothing else. That's actually not true. That's like a bit a, a myth that we try to be very clear about and debunk. Ruminant animals like cattle can have 100% of their diet come from pasture alone. That's super cool. Chickens and monogastric animals like chickens and pigs, they can't. Like they can't survive on just pasture, so they need to be supplemented. But pasture raised means that the birds were actually raised on a pasture as opposed to having either you know outdoor access or just living inside of a barn where they're living on what's called like chicken litter which is wood chips and almond holes and rice holes and manure you know mm. in pasture raised we use mobile coops so we're not the only ones doing this it's a huge trend in the u.s every single day the birds are living in what's called like a portable shade structure they have grass under their feet it's very fresh it smells good and it's clean but that system has to be mobile so every single day 365 days a year that thing moves itself or gets pulled by a tractor to a new spot. So the birds are always in a clean, fresh environment. And it's almost like the invention of modern plumbing, you know? So they're like moving away from their manure. It allows that manure to be the best fertilizer in the world, but then it gives them like this extremely clean environment to live in day in and day out. That's also a big part of their diet. They're eating grasses, bugs, worms, flowers, seeds, weeds, like whatever they can find in the pasture. Mm. Scorpion, we just saw, we had like a cool video from one of our farmers, a chicken just devouring a scorpion. You no know? way, and it wouldn't die from that. No, it, it ate the scorpion. I mean, chickens are like little T-Rex monsters. I mean, they're like savage animals, you know? So, <laughs> so they're, true. they're crazy. So being classified as pasture-raised, you need to be on a pasture. Are there any other boxes you need to check? Okay, so here's a really sad thing about pasture raised is not regulated at all. I was going to ask, like, are any companies claiming pasture raised that aren't? Yes. Okay. 90% of what's out there in the world right now is like what we call pasture posers or fake pasture raised, where it's a free range barn. So what free range actually means, a free range barn is just a, it's a conventional stationary grow house, 20,000, 24,000 birds where the doors open up and the birds technically have access to go outside. 
sounds great to like the average person that's never had chickens before. But for the people, anybody that's had chickens, they're like, well, we know chickens want to stay close to the food, water, shade and their friends. Right. So you can open the doors. But the reality is the birds aren't going out there a ton. Maybe they go out. Some of the good producers will get the birds out, you know, four or five percent of their life. That's that's considered really good. To me, that's not pasture raised. Four mm. percent of the animal's life spent outside, maybe a quarter of that on a pasture. It's not raising an animal on pasture, you know. So for us, we're saying pasture raised means that animal had to actually spend the majority of its life on pasture, living on pasture, foraging, doing all that stuff. But that's not the requirement right now. I'm not going to throw individual companies like under the bus, but companies that you would absolutely know. It's really sad because it's like you have hardworking, well-intentioned, conscious consumers try to do the best for their family. And they're being just like duped by... Yeah. Garbage labeling, loopholes. I immediately think of eggs because I think everyone's talking about pasture-raised eggs and how important it is to get your pasture-raised eggs. And they really use that labeling to get you. And I'm questioning now whether it's actually pasture-raised. You tell me. You, 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 I mean, you spent a lot of time in the Northeast. Yeah. It's January. You're in Philly, right? <laughs> There's you no have 24,000 birds in a confinement house. They're going to open that door up to two feet of snow. Are those birds going to just randomly wander out there? Like, no chance, you know? So no, no, one's, no one's checking. Not at all. It's, even if they did, they would say, well, it met the standard because they did have access. They had access to go outside. They're not going to go out because it's, you know, negative 10 and there's no food or water out there and no shade. It's, wow. like, it's like the opposite of what a chicken would ever want to do. But technically checks the box i had access to the outdoor 108 square feet you know of access so why aren't these farmers doing it the right way because it's expensive well it's expensive it's it's just um it takes a totally different production model like every house that we have has to be mobile built on wheels with 100 percent solar power because we're off grid we're out in these like remote locations in georgia for the most part where you're not going to run a power cord out to like drive a 7,000 square foot shade structure you know, so they would have to completely redo their production process. And it's just like not re realistic. Sadly, you've grown a business, you know, that like scale is really important and being able to quickly scale mm. to have to build every house from scratch is like the opposite of scalability. They want to just be able to take these free range houses that already exist, slap a couple doors on them and slap a new label on it. Like right. that's much more scalable, you know, but I think it's really disingenuous. It, it disappoints me. Even if it's legal, it still disappoints me that they do it, you know? How much less nutrient dense is a chicken from a farm like that versus a bird from pasture bird? I mean, we've done our own analysis. So what I would say is how much more are we? Mm. Same question, same answer, I guess. But when you look at like omega-3, three times higher, are like pretty substantial, you know? Vitamin A and E were both 50% higher. Saturated fat, 21% lower. You look at like NADH, that was four times higher. ATP was like 12 times higher. Vitamin B was like eight times higher. And wow. that's just because it's, it's the diet, it's the lifestyle. These birds have a fresh green salad bar every single day. That's fun. They're up, they're walking around, they're exercising, they're moving. Like it's an athlete versus a couch potato. Right. So it's not surprising that it has a different nutrient profile. You know, I feel like chicken is a little notorious for being the least nutrient dense meat. But I just wonder if that's because the average chicken is farmed this way. 
Yeah, I mean, when we compare it to like grass-fed beef, especially, you know, pasture-raised true grass-fed beef, you get a different nutritional profile. Like I, I would contend that wild game is the healthiest, you know, mm. moving into like pasture-raised red meat, moving into like monogastric next because they do, they still have, it's non-GMO and it's locally milled. And it's all great, but they still eat a good amount of like corn and soybeans. Now, a chicken can handle corn and soybeans a lot better than I can because they have what's called a gizzard. The gizzard's like a special organ inside of the chicken that actually takes grains. It sprouts the grains. It stone grinds them inside of their body to make them nutritionally available to their system. And actually chickens and pigs would eat grains in the wild. So it's completely different than like a ruminant eating grains, which is toxic to their system, you know. But yeah, th I think you get a different nutritional profile. I would put chicken, even though I do chicken like for a living, I would still put it third on the list. I would always go wild game first, mm. including fish. And then I would go like red meat next. And then I would say chicken after that. But still, chicken is the most eaten protein in the, in the U.S. now. Yeah. You know? So we need to we need to do our best to like make it as good as we can. 100%. Do you think that this farming style is unique to the U.S.? Like how are they doing it, let's say, in the U.K. or in Europe? Yeah. Now, actually, pasture poultry came from the U.K. In like the 1930s, there's rad old black and white photos. of It almost looks like these like hand wagons and there would be, I don't know, 20 birds in each one. And they would actually lift with a big front wheel and they would like push it forward and set it back down wow. because p chickens do need protection from predators. That's another huge one. Yeah. White Oak Pastures. I know you're familiar with them. Company I like really respect. They've been through it with bald eagles and foxes and wild pigs and neighbor dogs and everything wants to eat chicken. So in these old British coops, it would be like, you know, four walls, but no floor. So the birds are living on pasture, but they're protected from predators. They lift up this like shade structure, they move it forward and they drop it down. So technically I would say pasture poultry probably originated way before that, even on a non-farmed kind of basis, but it came from the UK. That's amazing. And um, just in regenerative ag in general, I mean, US trails, we don't lead in regenerative, like Europe, especially kind of the Netherlands and like, um, I would say Scandinavia is really, really aggressive in figuring out regenerative. There's a lot that we kind of look to. And then before that, like we always say, the indigenous people had the original regenerative system. I mean, they didn't have inputs. They had no external synthetic fertilizer. They had no antibiotics to keep animals alive. So guess what? Like their whole system had to be regenerative by design. So I think that there's so many good examples. Like we're not inventing something. Yeah. Know? Let's talk about regenerative farming. So what is regenerative farming? Like, what is the most basic definition? Did you leave it better than you found it? Hmm. That's what I would say it is. Did you leave the land better than you found it? Like, when we went camping with my dad growing up, it was always like, all right, here's the rule. We're going to leave the campsite cleaner than we found it, you know? And that's the same idea. Like, when we come onto land, the context of American egg is you're almost just like extracting and pulling out whatever you can out of out of soil and out of land and trying to make as much short term profit as you can. And that's a really sad way to look at like a relationship with nature to me. Yeah, really depressing. I would never be interested in farming in that way. Regenerative is like. After you're done 10 years, 20 years, 100 years down the road, is that land more fertile? Does it have more biodiversity or is there more wildlife? Is there, you know, is there more? carbon sequestration, water retention. Like there's all these rad markers you can look at, but to boil it all down, it's just, did you leave it better than you found it? You know? How did you guys find your land in Temecula? What was the state of it when you found it? So we were on a 50 year potato field. Potatoes are the most notorious. So they're not only 
you know, pesticide, fungicide, herbicide, massive tillage, which just means you're going to go in and like turn the soil over with heavy diesel machinery every single year. They do what's called fumigation. Fumigation is like chemotherapy for the soil where you just kill everything. Every pest, insect, weed, everything gets taken out with fumigation. So when we got out to this land, I mean, it was 160 acres where you would step and it was like probably 12 inches your boot would just drop down and it was hard to call it soil. It was just dirt. And even after a good rain year and all this, like we would get little sprigs of weeds that were just trying to stay alive. If there's a chance to put something in the notes, like you should see, it's unbelievable after 10 years of regenerative ag, which isn't just chickens. We, we also use cattle and uh, those two animals work amazing together, right? Because in nature, the big animals always take down the tall grass, mm. they mow it down. And then like, if you watch planet earth, or if you've been a safari or anything, you see how the birds come in behind the big animals and they're going to clean up and they're going to peck through and they're going to like sanitize. And, and they, they play this beautiful, we call it the beautiful dance. You know, it's like rest time, large animals, small animals, all kind of rotating. But I mean, we had grass like chest high, unbelievable biodiversity, 36 different species of like grasses and wildflowers and clover and, and bald eagles returned to the land and deer were out there. And it was like, this place is like paradise, you know, all That's... from 10 years of animals, which people think animals, and maybe rightfully so, like people think that animals are just how little harm can we do with animals? That's their context. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's like not the design. It's how much good can we do with animals if we manage them the right way? You know? How did you even begin to go from that barren potato field land to what you have now? I mean, there wasn't enough feed for cattle, right? So that's where chickens come in. That's such a cool opportunity for chicken because we have this supplemental feed and we can move them every single day. They put down a lot of manure, right? Mm. Every chicken puts down two and a half pounds of manure in their life. That's a lot. Mm. If you multiply that by 50, 100, 500,000 chickens, like you're putting down so much free fertilizer. So they're pooping two and a half pounds. Per chicken. Wow. <laughs> it's crazy. Thing. We talked so much about poop, so I just get used to it. But like yeah. poop is the original fertilizer, you know. Yeah. It's better than anything Monsanto has been able to figure out, you know. <laughs> and it's unbelievable in NP and K, which are all the things that you need to, to live. And so... The chickens get on there. The land is barren. You start rotating them through. Sure enough, a year later, it rains and you start to see like double the plant life pop up. And then two years, now you have like a stand of grass. Well, guess what? You have two options now because chickens don't like really tall grass. So you can either come out with your diesel, you know, your tractor and mow it down to where the chickens like it. Or common sense would say like you bring in the ruminant animals now. And then you get this even crazier cycle of like, now you have two animals fertilizing the land. The cows not only fertilize, they're 1,000, 1,200 pounds. So they're like using their hooves and trampling and disturbing the land and waking up this seed bank. And so you just get this like crazy compounding effect. And that's where I would say at the end of the day, regenerative is just so fun to be part of. When you're out there and that's your office and you get to watch nature at work day by day and it's not degrading, it's like healing year over year. And I mean, you get to sit there and watch it go. It's like, the most fun job in the world, you know. That must be so rewarding and such a fulfilling feeling to see what you've done with this land. Yeah, and it's not me. I mean, it was not my idea. This is not my thing. I mean, I would say God designed things this way. Mother Nature evolved this way. We're All we're doing is tapping into the way things were meant to be mm. from the start. So it's like, 
all the credit to my team and all the people that were like involved in it. But at the end of the day, we're just watching nature do its thing, you know, and it's beautiful. I think I saw or heard a study about farmers' mental health being significantly better than someone, you know, in an office job. That's so interesting. Would you agree with that? I don't know. I would say regenerative farmers, definitely some of the happiest people I've ever talked to and just most grounded people I've ever talked to as well. We've laid on enormous like pressure, debt and expectation on conventional industrial ag. I don't know if if that would be the stat for folks in that world. I think the highest suicide rate in the world within farming is in Indian farmers because it's just this tough thing where it's get big or get out and they're constantly up against the bank, debt up to their eyeballs, losing the farm. It's being consolidated. And you see some of the same things happen in the U.S. I don't know about suicide, but it's just very sad when you're the generation that can't keep the family farm going. Mm. And maybe you're sixth, seventh generation. I mean, the pressure, like you and I won't ever understand it. You know, I was first generation. I don't have to contend with that or worry about that. But I can only imagine after seven generations, you're the one that let the farm go mm. and it gets rolled up into one of the big boys and it's just like gets planted into corn and soybeans just like everything else and it's got to be pretty sad and then it's the pressure of these houses with all these animals and it's like it's just it's managed down to the single digit degree you know it's like whoa why is your poultry house at 83 degrees it should be 84 what are you doing it's like i don't have a context to understand how stressful that must be yeah because for us it's just working with nature. And I'm not saying it's not stressful. It is. But it's just a different context when you're trying to look at Mother Nature as the model and then as closely replicate that as possible yeah. versus trying to squeeze nature into your context. And that just seems like I don't envy that. I would never do farming that way. All the respect to the people that do it, I would not be interested in doing it that way. You know? Yeah, it seems like a very taxing job to have. We talk a lot about better for you products on this podcast and specifically deodorant is a big one for so many people. And that's where I found Lumi, which is female founded. She's also the CEO, which I think is incredible. It is a whole body deodorant for armpits, privates and beyond. It was created by an OBGYN who developed a uniquely formulated pH balance deodorant. It's aluminum free, skin safe and clinically proven to control odor for up to 72 hours. I personally love the fact that you can use it absolutely anywhere. I think so many of us experience sweating from different parts of our bodies I've personally found that it really keeps odor at bay. And what I really, really like is that it's stopping the odor before it happens. So while many other deodorants like to mask odor with fragrance, Lumi's actually formulated and powered by mandelic acid to stop odor before it starts. So it's more of a pre-odorant, if you think about it. It's aluminum-free, baking soda-free, and paraben-free pH balance so you can use it below the belt. They have a ton of fresh, bright fragrances. I really like the Clean Tangerine. Choose from a variety of fresh, bright scents. I like the Clean Tangerine. They also have lavender sage or toasted coconut. 
Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, and two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code POW, P-O-W, at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use code POW, P-O-W. We have so many conversations on this podcast about fertility. I recently had Dr. Gadir on the show and it was shocking how many people are struggling with infertility. And I think one of the biggest issues is that we just don't know whether we are fertile or not. And that's where modern fertility comes in. Did you know one out of eight couples struggle with infertility? That is a staggering statistic and it's one that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. We need good data and information about our bodies in order to make informed decisions and have conversations with doctors. Whether or not you know you want to have kids right now, I think it's better to just know and plan ahead. Modern fertility is an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. All you need to do is mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get personalized results within six business days. You'll get insight into your hormone levels, your ovarian reserve, and other important factors that can impact your fertility. The results go deep into every hormone and what it means. You can also download the results to review with your doctor for next steps. Plus, you can get reimbursed for the test through your FSA or HSA. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash POW, P-O-W. That means your test will cost $159, which is a fraction of what it would cost at a fertility clinic. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash POW, P-O-W, modernfertility.com slash POW. We have had a lot of animal-based guests on the show. I think I told you about Paul Saladino and have had a lot of discussions about the environmental impact of a meat eater versus someone who's vegan. Do you think that the concept, if we want to do better by the environment, we need to eat less meat is accurate? Because I know that that's the consensus of a lot of America at the moment. I think we're shifting away from it, but I just want to see what you think. No, I mean, I, I would be on the same page, if not close to the same page as Paul on that one. I completely disagree with that. I think the idea that because we eat less meat means that we're doing something better for the environment is just absurdly wrong. If you look at the numbers and you look at the stats, we need to eat less degenerative food. Like, I'll agree with you on that. I mean, but just because you don't eat you know, a steak doesn't mean you are eating a good plant that was grown in a good way either. I mean, look at the way that plants are grown in the U.S. It's, it's as bad, if not worse, that, than the animals are grown. And I'm not saying the animals are grown great either. Like, we have a huge problem food system-wide that we need to fix. And to me, it's just about eat more regenerative food. Mm -hmm. And actually, the beautiful thing with, with the design is that plants feed animals and animals actually feed plants. And so I think that there's actually this future of food that I'm really hopeful and optimistic for which is the integration of plants and animals, reintegration. All that we've done in this country is we've completely separated the two. So it's like, all right, animals go here in their little house and then plants go here in their little house. And synthetic chemicals have to like make up for the antibiotics on this side and the fertilizer, which is really just an antibiotic on the plant side. And if you look at the way nature's designed, that's not what it was meant to be at all. And it comes back to movement and rotation and like heavy impact by animals for a short amount of time and then a long rest period after that. 
So another project that we're working on, which is really cool, is we call it the permaculture orchard. And so it's like 30 acres of trees and the animals actually graze through these, these you pick trees. And it's like they're providing the pest management. They're providing the fertility. But then you're also able to like harvest food off of these trees. And so, yeah, it's not like large scale. You're not going to see those products in, in the grocery store necessarily. Like that's the future of food. Right. In my opinion, it's the reintegration of plants and animals together. So a majority of plants at the grocery store are being factory farmed as well. 100%. Yeah. Wow. And what does that look like? How do you factory farm a plant? Uh, so first thing you're going to do is you're going to come in and till the land, which is like the, the, I mean, that's where you release all the carbon. That's like where all the environmental damage comes from growing annual plants and vegetables. Like you garden it all, you know, that in the start of the year, you're going to basically come up and disturb all that soil and scratch it all up and get it ready to plant, which means killing everything, you know, just right there. Then you're going to put your seeds in. Well, then it's going to need synthetic inputs and probably weed control too. So you're not only like synthetic fertilizer to get the plants to actually grow because the soil might be dead. You're also going to need like synthetic weed control. Is that like glyphosate or something of That's that exactly nature? That's exactly what glyphosate is. So glyphosate, all that means is they, they've developed these seeds that you can spray a special spray on them and it'll kill everything except for that plant. That's pretty gnarly. We talk a lot about glyphosate on the show and how it's on oatmeal. It's on a lot of what we're eating and the yeah. impacts that could be having on our gut. Yeah, and it's one of those things that I'll tell you, oh, well, there's no conclusive research that says it's bad. It's like, okay, well, okay. Like, show me the conclusive research that says it's good, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and good luck. Because I, I'm sketched out by glyphosate. I avoid it at all costs. And to me, it just goes back to this, like, fundamental problem that we don't have animals feeding plants. That's, that's who's supposed to feed all these plants. So one thing that we're doing on pasture which is really fun, we get to go on to... We've been on hay fields, we've been on cotton fields, we've been on peanut fields, on corn fields, on wheat fields. And after they've harvested their crop, we'll put chickens on there. Instead of like spraying it with, you know, synthetic fertilizer or anything, we'll put chickens on there. We'll grow a pasture two or three years. We'll take that soil from like less than 1% organic matter up to like 3 4%, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's really healthy soil at that point. Then we'll get off and we'll go to a new spot. Well, that farmer comes back and then they can plant their peanuts or their wheat or whatever they want to do in that like really healthy soil. And so it's this like large scale integration of plants and animals that I, I really think if it's not the future, then I'm scared for what the future is. You yeah. Know? So if you want to be a more environmentally conscious person, it's really about knowing where your food is coming from and the environment it was raised in. Yeah. Just don't fall for the thing that you're doing something right by plants or animals by eating less meat. Because think about animals. So I was just talking to somebody about this the other day a single application of pesticide, right? It kills billions of animals. Unless you think a cow is somehow more important than a caterpillar. I don't. Like, I think all animals are the same. Life is life. Like, it's all really important to me. So a pesticide is literally a poison. And what it does is it paralyzes the animal so that they are going to die of starvation. Like, that's what a pesticide does. And so it's not right by animals to not eat animals either. Like, I always say the the most vegan diet in the world would be hunted wild game because mm. you're doing veganism is like doing the least harm. Very noble, very honorable, but it's like, that's the least harm in my opinion, you know? Yeah. Being responsible for where you're actually getting your food from. Yeah. It's like one life. I mean, you take down one deer, you take down one like elk. I mean, that can feed hundreds of families for a yeah. long time. It's a lot of food from one life. We were talking about buying a whole cow 
I've been hearing about people doing this where they'll actually split a cow with their friends or their family and you'll each take a few cuts here, a few cuts there. That kind of seems like a really resourceful way of going about meat. It's just the way it was done for a long time. And I can't even tell you because that's the only way that we do beef. We harvest our own, you know, and we have a family company, Primal Pastures, that does those like cow shares. So you Mm. can do a quarter, a half or a whole, all pasture raised, all regenerative, all organic, like the highest quality. But what you do is you end up with like 100, 200 pounds of meat in your freezer, which sounds gnarly, especially if you live in a small place, you don't have a freezer or whatever. But it's literally the best feeling in the world when you walk out to your freezer and like, oh, what do I want to have for dinner tonight? And the cost savings alone is worth it, you know, because you're getting, you know, steaks and roasts and ground beef and bones for bone broth and the liver. And you're getting everything all like at the cost of less than you would pay for ground beef in the store. So it's like to me, it's a no brainer. It's just, again, not the most scalable. It's like nobody's really cracked the coat on it. I mean, that's how people should buy beef for sure. Yeah, I think I'm going to try that. You should. I might need to get a a deep freezer. Yeah, we'll bring one to you. Yeah, I'll text you. you. We're going to figure that out. (laughs) So why is soil health so important and what does healthy soil look like? This is a great question because I think a lot of farmers have it wrong. People always talk about regenerative egg and soil health and how that's so important for the environment. And trust me, I'm an environmentalist first. That's like why I do what I do, but people don't care. Mm. Honestly, the average person living in New York or LA just doesn't care about your farmer's soil and how much carbon sequestration you have and water retention. They might want to care, but it doesn't drive purchase. What really drives purchase is the nutrient density of the product and the health of the product and the taste of the product. And so I think what healthy soil ultimately does is it produces healthier food. And that's like what we really need to focus on. The environmental benefits are amazing and we could like go on forever about them. They're kind of boring. And it's like, that's cool for you. What's in it for me, basically. And so I think healthy soil is how we get healthy food at the end of the day. And what does that look like? It's it's really about organic matter in my mind. Like that's the best estimation of soil health is what the organic matter is. So that means how much actual soil it is compared to just dirt and sand and clay. And the higher it is, the better generally. That's a really easy way to look at soil health. Why is our soil hurting so much in general? Like what has happened? We separated plants and animals. I mean, I really think that that's what it comes down to. We've lost the understanding of how to actually take care of soil. Again, go back to indigenous communities like like not that long ago in the U.S., 200 years ago, they're still functioning and practicing like the Hopi in Arizona. You know, there's no outside inputs going on. And we like to think in the West that like the best inheritance that we can give our kids is, you know, money and stocks and real estate and stuff. And for for I would say them, I'm not trying to characterize all of them, but a common Native American belief is like the soil is actually the best inheritance that you can pass on. And I actually resonate with that. It's like, the one thing that money can't really buy is like really, really rich, healthy soil that produces healthy and abundant food. So I think that there's lots of ways that we can look at it, but we've lost all of them and we don't think about them and we just think about yield, yield, yield. And we, you know, we're, we're very extractive in the West on how we think about agriculture and it's kind of toxic. Yeah. So if people want to support farms like yours, do you have any recommendations of others they can look at? Like where do you order your plants from? Yeah. So my, first of all, say like on the meat side, on the chicken side, we're just one player in a large movement. That's like trying to fix the American food system and really beyond American. So we helped come up with this website called getrealchicken.com. That's like the first one I always promote. 
that is where you could go on and actually type in your address and figure out a farm close to you. Because in a perfect world, unrealistic world, but a perfect world, you'd have like a small local producer that you can buy from that you know on a first name basis. You can shake their hand, like you can go visit the farm, you can see it for yourself. And that website has a lot of really great resources and individual farms that you'd never find in a grocery store. You know, I really like that site for people that are don't have the time to do that or whatever. Like that's, I think where we come in. So with, with relationships like Sprouts and Gelson's and Jimbo's and all these great retail partners that we have, or, you know, something like pasturebird.com where you can get something sent to your doorstep. That's really helpful too. On the plant side, I, I'm a big believer in the farmer's market still. I, I hate to say it. That's where you're going to meet the producers at the good farmer's markets. There's a lot of really bad ones. There are. Where That's, people will buy stuff and resell it. And... That really threw me for a loop because I was going to the farmer's market thinking everything there was kind of safe, mm. only to realize a majority of it isn't. There's only kind of one organic stand there. I actually want to ask you about the term organic. Yeah, so it means, I, I would say it, it means a lot more for plants than it does for animals sometimes. Mm. Or at least it, it aligns closer to what you would think of as organic. I would actually throw it back on you. Like, I'd love to know what you think organic chicken even means. And it's always interesting to me to hear. Because you're educated on it. You're not like a newbie. But I bet (laughs) your perspective might be different than what it really is. Okay, if someone said it's organic chicken, in my head, I would be like, okay, it must be eating organic food. Mm -hmm. That's what I would assume. You got it. That's what it is. Oh, okay. But it doesn't mean anything for how the bird lives. Right. So you could still walk into that same... And this, again, I always say this, and it's like no disrespect to the people that grow this way. There's great companies doing this. It fills a need. There's a demand for it. But you'd walk into that same like 24,000 bird chicken house, and it looks the same as every other one. Maybe they have the little doors, not Mm -hmm. a ton of birds going out, but the feed that's in there is organic. That's all the difference. Which, what does that mean? Good question. (laughs) Now we're really getting into it. Like, what is organic feed? So, what it was meant to mean is that it's grown like without synthetic fertilizers, synthetic pesticide, you know, it's, it's grown in a clean way. Sadly, like everything, the industry has gotten a hold of that term to a certain extent, at least. And I think there's like 270 approved, you know, fertilizers and pesticides on that list, mm. some of which are better than others. I still do think organic is the gold standard for plants, though. I just don't know a better one. I don't know how to recommend you something better than knowing the actual farm. What we're trying to do on the orchard side is actual you pick like operation where you come in and get your literally you get your own food off of the tree and pull it out of the ground for yourself you know, so on fun. a membership. Like that's that's the big idea there. But short of that, I think if you're in the grocery store, like what we do is we buy organic produce from our local health food store. Cool. And I would say we're I don't know everything, but we're like pretty educated on this stuff. And that's the best that we can kind of do other than growing it ourselves, you know. I'm a big fan of the you pick idea. I love it. Pick your own berries. Yeah. Oh, so fun. We saw it everywhere in the UK. I know. We had so much fun picking. And we were just like, you know what? How do, how, well, first of all, how do you farm in California and be economically sustainable? Because it's really hard to be a large scale producer of anything with the land prices and the water and everything that we have. So it was like, all right, how do we keep it fun and keep it interesting? And we really think like just being outside and vitamin D is so important. Having kids and adults alike, like reconnect to the food system in a meaningful way. It's like, all right, instead of doing a once a year apple you pick, let's plant 12 months of produce and have people just be on membership. They could come anytime they want and get their food, you know? And so that's the vision with that project. It's still 
totally its infancy. But I do think that's like a really great way to have family time, be outside, know where your food's coming from. It's like I have high hopes for that project. We'll see where it goes, you know. A lot of my childhood memories in the UK are of picking raspberries and strawberries. It's like such a fun family activity and memory. I really love that idea. Berries especially because it's like you go to the store, you know, and berries are just rough. Mm-hmm. They're not meant to be transported. They're not meant to be like go through the whole distribution process. I mean, a true berry experience, you've got to eat it fresh off the berry plant, you know. I'm also so suspicious of these like glowing, gorgeous, giant berries. Right? I'm like, what's in you? How'd you do that? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's not how they look on the farm. <laughs> They're like airbrushed. Yeah. It's concerning. It is. So would you guys ever expand beyond? Like, do you ha- get eggs? Uh, we have eggs on the orchard. Okay. But it's a small scale thing. So for pasture bird, I would love to do eggs. Like, like it's all the same principles. Yeah. You know? I, a big shout out to, if you're in California, Alexander Farms. Mm. In my opinion, they are doing what we do, but for eggs. Okay. Eggs is so saturated. We already talked about some of the labeling problems within eggs. Mm. It is a tough road that they're fighting, but they are an authentic, legitimate one. You can find them at Erewhon. You can find them at Whole Foods. They've tried to scale the business, you know, but they're competing, doing something authentic against stuff that's, you know, less. And that's a really hard place to be in for the average consumer that doesn't know. Both of them say pasture raised. One's $10 a dozen. The other one's six. What's, what's the catch, you know? Mm-hmm. But check out Alexander. I think they do an amazing job. Really, really great family, great company. There's a market there, but I, I, would, I would rather see us go into some of the other like monogastrics. I think pork is so ripe to figure out, mm-hmm. you know? Beef has, it's almost like it's been done to a certain extent. You can find really good regenerative grass-fed beef if you if you look yeah. for like five minutes you'll find it you know mm-hmm. chicken is really hard even harder i would say is pork turkey like those are the proteins that i would love to see pasture bird figure out in the coming years because i think that it's just hard to find in retail and, and even online yeah pork would be awesome yeah like sausage ribs exactly love that Same. love that idea in your transition from corporate accounting to farming were there any limiting beliefs you had to unlearn mm. that surprised you in that shift? I don't want to say no, but the reason that question's hard to answer is because I didn't know that we were going to be doing this. Mm. It was meant to be a fun ha- family hobby project, you know, and it just kept unfolding. It was like, I felt like God just kept opening these windows. I'd be like, really? We're going to do 5,000 chickens, you know, like at a time. Now we're doing 50,000 chickens at a time. Now we're doing 500,000. It's like, mind-blowing you know so i never thought any of this was a possible but b like even what i wanted to do so it's hard to it's hard to answer that question i can't think of like a good example of something where i was like oh i i don't believe we had a cool experience in 2013 that gave us a ton of confidence so we were like backyard farming we were you know very unimpressive like a quarter acre in our backyard my whole family had moved into 1700 square foot house which is not just me and my wife and our then one-year-old, but nine of us total were living in this 1,700-square-foot house. And it was absolutely bonkers. <laughs> we were reinvesting every dollar. We had no debt. We had no equity partners. We had no real money. You know, We each put $500 into the kitty, and we we're like, if this business goes, it goes. If not, we'll go back to our jobs. You know, But we were like, let's just give it a try. And we were doing this whole thing, and we got a call that I didn't even think was real from the chef from the Lakers. I don't know if you, I don't know if you know her or not, but Kate Shanahan was like the dietitian. She runs in these circles now. She's super impressive. 
But she calls and she goes, hey, we're looking for like the best protein possible for the team. Is there any chance we could come out and see your farm? And I'm like, oh, she thinks we have like a farm. We have like a couple chicken coops, you know. Pull it together, guys. Let's go. Let's... <laughs> and so they came out. And sure enough, this is when like Kobe Bryant was kind of getting towards the end of his career. Steve Nash, who were really into like ancestral health and bone broth and liver and all these things. And they just like fell in love with, with what we were doing. So we got to be the, the chicken supplier for the Lakers. And then right after that, the Dodgers, Gabe Kepler, who's like the strength and conditioning coach there, was like, well, if the Lakers are doing it, we should do it. So we started being the protein supplier for the, both teams. And I was like, dude, that for a young business, it's not even a business, it's a hobby. And we're all sports nuts. And like, we got to go up and walk through the dugout, meet the players, and they were all so grateful. And it was like, that was an unbelievable stroke of just confidence for us in that moment, you know? That's so insane. we owe a lot to Kate and Gabe and kind of those two teams for like, not, it wasn't even volume. It was just like the confidence. It was yeah. so rad, you know, to really like believe in yourself, which is what business comes down to, you know. And I feel like sometimes at the beginning, you just need to be thrown into it when you're not even ready. 100%. So, so here's the other funny story. I don't know if you know my sister-in-law's um, skincare company. She does Primally Pure, mm. which is like a really great natural skincare company. They so, sponsor the show. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, you know, that was born out of that same 1700 square foot house. No way. Yeah. So she started making deodorant. This is like 2013. Wow. And she, and, and we were, she was like, Hey, try this. What do you guys think? And I'm like, dude, this is so, such a great product. Beef tallow, essential oils, like so clean. You could eat it kind of thing. And we we're like, why don't you try selling it? At some of our farm tours. Sure enough, people really enjoyed it and they, they liked it. So we we're like, okay, put it on our online store and see how it goes. And you know, pretty much she, she goes from 10% of our store to like 25 to 50. And we're like, okay, go get your own website. You got to think. And she's grown into an unbelievable, you know, natural skincare company. But it's like, it's born out of this like crucible, you know? That's incredible. And I think that's what you're talking about. It's like, you're just forced into it. You've got, you know, nine people and 1700 square feet. It's like so tough. You're just like, I got to do something to get out of here. hundred percent. And I think good businesses are born there. I feel bad for my really rich friends. <laughs> That try to start a business. And I'm like, it doesn't matter if you fail. You you're can't. Fine. I, I honestly feel bad in that situation or overfunded companies. I'm like, that makes it hard, I think. You have too many options. You I can't know. start from the top. You got to start from the bottom. I 100% agree with you. When myself and my husband started, we had no money. We had no help. It was mm. just us. We were working out of our tiny attic with my dad's house. I think the best ideas are born from there. Yeah. And now that we've grown so much, I almost feel like there's so many options. And I know. it's just, I agree with you. You got to start out the mud. I forget who it was, but there was a cool quote the other day. It said, and, and this is back to like the parenting stuff. It was like the best childhood is like parents that are broke, but love you. Yeah. You know, it's like that same concept. It's like that crucible, but it's done in love and it's done out of passion. I mean, yeah. that's how great businesses are made, I think. Do you have any tips for someone like myself who wants to start a hobby farm? Order 50 chicks. <laughs> that wasn't really what Expedite I was thinking. Expedite the shipping. And no. I, I was think, thinking five. I think it's just start, man. Everybody overanalyzes it. They think too much about it. I mean, if you go back like 100 years to, there's these rad USDA sponsored ads from like a little more than 100 years, but 1913. And it says, do your patriotic duty. Have two chickens for each member of your household. They'll eat your chicken scraps and they'll provide you with eggs. And it's an easy enough job that even like a five-year-old can, can take care of it, you know? It's like, man, we've really overcomplicated it. Like, it's just not that, it's not that weird. 
it's not that crazy. It's not that complicated to get a couple chickens for your backyard. Yeah. And I get some people can't because you don't have a backyard. But even a small backyard, chickens are such a great like gateway drug. Just be careful because then you'll have a guardian dog. Then you'll have a pig. Then you'll have like wanting to buy a cow. And then you'll be moving to Temecula and getting land. So it all it all waterfalls. But that's going to be me. I already know. I'm animal obsessed. It's not the worst thing that could happen to you. It's How pretty much fun. Square footage do you actually need? Let's say four or five chickens. Oh, uh, you could really do it on a very small footprint. And I always talk about mobile coops and how great it is to do regenerative. Like, you don't have to start that way. You can mm-hmm. have a fixed coop. All that means is you're going to have to go in and clean the coop out like you would kitty litter or a dog house or something like that. And you scoop it out. Ideally, you have a garden where you can compost that waste and then you can apply it to your garden and that's your fertilizer. So it's like, you don't have to have the mobile coop that moves around. You don't have to do meat chickens. Like, you can start with layers. I always recommend that. I always recommend start with laying hens, not baby chicks. Baby chicks are super fun, but it's like you kind of want eggs day one, ideally. You know, <laughs> yeah, if I you're impatient eggs. like I am, like buy the laying hens and the chicks if you really want to do chicks. But yeah, I mean, a, a small backyard, like call it 500 square feet would be like more than enough to get going on a couple of birds. Cool. You just need to clean the coop if you're not moving it. That's the that's the big deal. I could start right now. I've got chickens for you. I'll bring some. Oh Should gosh. have told me I could have brought some up today. So I can buy live chickens from yeah, you? Yeah, definitely. You would have bought them today? I would have. Oh my God. My husband would actually kill me. So what? He's like an Italian New Yorker who is scared of going near animals. And I'm like in with them, <laughs> you know, like we're, we couldn't be more different. I mean, you could have blamed that on me. I could have been like, yeah, I didn't know. I just thought I'd bring her like a gift. It's like a normal now know, I traditional have a chicken dealer. gift. This is actually going to happen. I got you set up. Last question I have is about your family. I know you're very family oriented. What has it been like to raise your kids on a farm? Yeah, I mean, I didn't grow up that way. So it's like the coolest thing ever to me. I'm always like so pumped to get the kids outside and running around on land. And they have this crazy relationship with food and animals that I never had. You know, I have one son, my oldest, who's 10, who I think will probably work for PETA someday. He won't kill a fly. And I've got other son who's five, who's just like this burly kid, Weston, that I'm pretty sure is going to be like running a slaughterhouse someday. So they're the opposite ends of the spectrum, which is really fun. It's just like being out there and seeing the connection. I mean, they'll be out tonight and they're going to go out and like collect eggs and run around and they'll like see birds. And they also see life and death, which I think is super healthy. Um, we always see death on the farm. It's like a major part of the farm. It's a major part of life. We also see like we don't have to have the sex talk with our kids because it's like, oh, what are those cows doing? Well, let's talk about that. Like this is how animals get pregnant. This is also how humans get pregnant. So like all my kids from two years old have had like the talk, you know? Yeah. And it's actually great. It's really healthy. I think coming up in nature is great that way that you sort of start to understand these things that we see as weird or scary. And it's actually just like very much part of life. Yeah. Um, it's a real privilege and pleasure to bring kids up on on farm it seems like a much more natural way to grow up because i guess in in a household you're not exposed to any of those things on a day-to-day basis so things are really like Mm -hmm. swept under the rug because they can be and not to freak people out but this is another vision of the orchard project is an outdoor play space our parks are saturated with glyphosate they're saturated with synthetic chemicals and fertilizers and just unbelievable amount of synthetic everything so it's like what, what should be really fun, you know, you bring your kid out to the park for like a day to play could be insanely toxic. And so to have this really natural certified organic outdoor space for them to run around and pick berries and just be kids and get dirty and sometimes get a little hurt 
I love it. If my kids don't have like some scrapes on their knees, we're doing something wrong, you know? Yeah. This is not like helicopter parent. Like they're out running around. I teach them how to identify a rattlesnake versus a gopher snake versus a gardener snake because I need them to know if it's a rattler, like they need to do something different than if it's a, a, another animal. So it's like all these really cool, I mean, I just feel blessed. Like I said, I didn't come up with that way. I was a city kid through and through. So I had to learn these things on my own as an adult. But I feel like learning them as a kid is like the coolest way to grow up, you know. I never thought about the glyphosate at the parks. That blows my mind. Yeah. So gnarly. Oh, okay. We can't escape glyphosate. I'm terrified. Now it's time for the question we ask every guest. I started this podcast because I believe everyone's pursuit of wellness looks different. What does wellness mean to you? Such a good question. I think we talked earlier, like diet's just such a part of it. Eating pasture raised, great if you can do it. I think a lot of times when I go on a podcast or whatever, I, I, I try not to come off as somebody who's like, oh, you better do this or it's shame on you or whatever. I mean, it's just about doing your best at the end of the day. So if your best is maybe you can afford pasture-raise once a week, do it. Like start somewhere, you know. But I think wellness goes way beyond just what we put in our body. I mean, it comes back to, for us, it's, it's really a focus and a, and a prioritization of like, God first and our church is like so important to us and our community. And then it's like family after that. And like business actually falls like pretty low on that list. Not that it's not important. It's just that there's other things that are way more important to us. When we first started the business, one of the hardest things, my wife and I loved to travel. And it was like, well, farming's not going to work because you're stuck on farm doing chores twice a day. One of the beautiful things is like as the business has grown, I've been able to hire a lot of that out. And it's like, I don't have to be there anymore all the time. So travels really really high up on our list and it's like we feel like we can live somewhere like rural Temecula because we're able to f you know get out of Temecula all the time and um really trying to raise our kids like with an international mindset and that there's a lot more to the world than just our little small town and I see that in LA too because I spend a lot of time here it's like we easily get sucked into LA being the whole world and it's yeah. just not there's so much stuff going on and so many other things to go see and so I think Travel's been super important and we were really keen on traveling before kids, but then traveling with all four kids and just loading them up on a plane. I mean, the amount of time those we should we realized my son who's 10 has been to more countries than states so far. He's been to like 30 countries or something. And I think just raising the kids internationally and like the day of being able to do some remote stuff and Airbnb. We spent a, a month in Italy two years ago and we were able to spend like a month in the UK last year in the summer and doing that longer form traveling really is like a wellness thing for our family. Longer form travel with kids is like the only way to do it, you know? And you can work really hard and put a lot into your work if you know that you have these like longer form trips coming up where it's all about family, you know? And so I think that for us, it's less about balancing each day of like balancing the year and making sure that there's the, those sprints within the business and she has hers. I mean, she's an interior designer, so she's got crazy sprints too, but then really like recharging with the family and stuff too. It's really refreshing to hear someone with a successful business say it's third on the totem pole because I think, yeah, as a business owner, I completely hear where you're coming from. And for a while, the business does have to be number one, but I think for there's sure. a way to be successful and prioritize family and personal life and travel and all of those things. And also love the long-term stay concept i really want to do that oh it's been the best i mean just with jet lag like you bring four kids so we've got 10 7 5 and 3 mm -hmm. you're gonna fly to europe 
I mean, it's like three days before we're even functioning and like yeah. normal. These kids don't, they can't just fall asleep on the plane like we can. I mean, it takes a little bit. So for us, the month or even like five to six weeks, which feels crazy from an American, like you go to Australia, you go to UK, really anywhere else in the world, they all know how to like holiday way better than we do. We think like a 10 day trip is sick, you know, in the US. We're like, oh my gosh, 10 days. That's not even vacation yet. And it really takes a couple of weeks to even snap out of the whole like running a business mindset and just chill out. So I think it's super healthy. We always say it takes us a minimum of a week to stop being anxious about being away from the business. It's so interesting. Yeah. So then what's a 10 day trip do for you? I mean, we very rarely do it. I'm hoping yeah. we start doing it soon. But a 10 day trip by the end, I feel like a completely different person, especially in Europe. I, exactly. I'm not a big like beach sitting person, but yeah. when I'm in Europe, I feel like immersing in that culture. You can't be in a rush. Mm-hmm. You can't get your coffee to go. I know. You got to sit and enjoy. And I feel like by the end, I start questioning the way I live my life. So we're at the end of this summer. We, we've traveled for a month the last two summers, but then this summer we didn't. And both my wife and I are like, ooh, we like feel it. Itchy. Oh, we just, well, the kids are going back to school now. And it's like, you kind of, well, I'm taking my son to South Africa for a couple weeks in September, but it's not like a family trip. So it's a little bit different, but we're both like, ah, did we miss the boat a little bit? I'm like this good family recharge because you go back into the school year when you have kids and it's kind of like all systems go. So we'll definitely need to make something happen for next year. Yeah. yeah. Where can people find Pasture Bird online? So pasturebird.com is where we do everything. And that's nationwide home delivery. And we're really proud of that program. It's really great. But like I said, I'd, I'd rather have you go find like local if you can. It's just not a lot available. So check out passionbird.com if you want like a rad box shipped direct to your house. Amazing. And you guys have a code actually. If you want 10% off Pasture Bird, you can use code POW, P-O-W. Paul, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Go comment on my last Instagram at Mari Llewellyn with the guest you want to see next. I'll be picking one person from the comments to send our bloom greens to. Make sure you hit follow so you never miss my weekly episodes. If you enjoyed the conversation, be sure to share and leave a review. See you next week. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.